Blog Talk Radio. Come on, Jay, play the music. Yeah, really. <laughs> Welcome to Peach State Pandemonium, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network, where we take you down memory lane for a look at professional wrestling the way it used to be, with conversations from those who paved the way. And now, the GWH Radio Network presents Peach State Pandemonium. Good evening, and welcome to Peach State Pandemonium for Thursday, December 6, 2018. This is our last show of the year. Uh, we'll be back on uh, after, the, after the holidays And uh, this is Michael Norris I'm joined by Jerry Oates Hopefully Bobby will be joining us here shortly um, Bobby had some issues over the weekend And spent uh, Wasted a good part of a day in, in the emergency room They sent him home with some strong medication And he didn't need a whole lot of help To drop off to sleep sitting up anyway but the medication they gave him makes it even worse so he may have dozed off and i'm sure he, he'll be joining us here shortly but anyway jerry how you doing i'm doing good mike and you doing good we, i got a bit of bad news just before we went on air i read where uh larry henning passed away the the, the sometime earlier today oh, liver really? disease. he was he was 82 years old yeah I hate yeah. to hear that. I never met Larry. Never met him. I know Bobby worked with him some. I think he passed through here um, a time or two, and I know Bobby had had uh, worked with him. I guess since the last time we were on the air and the last time you were with us, we've lost uh, we lost Slater and uh, Don Leo Jonathan, and it seemed like there was one other too, but I can't I can't off the top of my head I can't think of of that, but. Uh, Yes, and uh, Don Leo Jonathan was a bit of a shock. I knew uh, Slater had been in—he's been in bad shape for the last uh, couple of years. Um, that's what—that's what I heard. But he was in a wheelchair and everything. But Don Leo Jonathan seemed to still be pretty active in, in getting around and stuff. I know you worked with him out in, or you—you work? No, did you work with him or not out in Seattle? No, no was he around? I met him in Seattle. Yeah, I met him in Seattle. He came to the matches one night, and I'm glad he did. I sat and talked with him a long time, and he was just a charming fella and, and you know, just a nice a man as you will ever want to meet. He was Yeah, Bobby said Drummo just, just, Drummo just used to just rave about him, how, what a nice guy he was. And, oh, he, and, he uh, was a principal man. You ever see him work I'm there. You know, or film of his earlier uh, stuff? Yeah, I've seen. Yeah, I have. You know, people talk about the the Undertaker and and Jardine, and both of them are were are very good for their size. But Don Leo Jonathan, I mean, it's not somebody that's. I guess he was six five, six six. You know, somewhere there, uh, two hundred eighty pounds or something. But you know, which is is not an unusual thing. You know, from say the mid eighties on. But back in his day. In the fifties and sixties, oh, he, was, he yeah, was, was, you know, he was he was the giant before Andre came along. He you know, was and still the things that I'm, he was able to do. Yeah, he he was, uh, you know, he he was evidently a great athlete, and I I met him in seventy eight, and he was still impressive man. You know, he was still fit looking because he he was a diver. Yeah, you know he he had a business where they uh, clean uh, hulls of ships. He had a business out there, but he was a nice One man. The, I have, uh, I think I've still got it in my collection. I had a uh, some matches from Japan, and one of them, he's wrestling Tim Woods. Really, and this is probably 73 74 somewhere in there well tim was over there as mr wrestling so um but so jonathan was probably almost 20 years or, or maybe even beyond 20 years in the business he was still doing kip-ups drop kicks 
you know, just just amazing. It's just just I mean, a man that size, I mean, just but he, the kindness of him, you know, he just was a nice man. I'm glad I I got to meet him. And then uh, mm. you know the, the dynamite kid. Yeah, that's you know, right. He, he passed away too. Here, uh, you know, I, I never met him. You know, uh, saw him when he was in New York up there and all. And but he paid the ultimate price for what he did. I mean, he paid yeah. the ultimate price. He was, he was pitiful. It was just sad. Very sad. I thought maybe you would have but, crossed paths with him maybe over in Japan. Some, yeah, that's what my son trips. asked me asked me not too long uh, this evening that I ever meet him. I told him I never met him. He said, I thought you might have ran across him in Japan, but I never did. But, yeah, he, you know, he he did stuff that people hadn't seen before, you know. Yeah. He worked hard in that ring. I know that. But he paid a heavy price. Yes, he did. He definitely did that. Well, the, tonight's conversation kind of grew out of a, a conversation Bobby and I had on the way to church about a month ago, and I thought it would we'd be a good uh, good topic for for the show. I was on one of the few message boards, the wrestling message boards that I was going to, and people were talking about, or the, the, the subject that they were discussing was finishing holds that are, are unbelievable or, you know, just you can't, you can't buy into it. And, uh, I read, and I, I didn't, I didn't comment on anything for a while. And then, you know, some of the things they were talking about, they were talking about, you know, one of the first things they mentioned was the atomic drop. And that's when I finally chimed in and, and I said, uh, you know, the, the atomic drop, if it's done, I said, that whole thing is done. It, it, it's a, a collaboration, but the guy that's that's doing the applying of the whole can only do so much. It's all in how the guy who sells it is whether that's or not it. it's believable. If you take a guy and lift him up like that and drop him across his, his rear end, across your knee, if he jumps up, you know, five feet in the air and runs around holding his behind, of course it's not believable. But if he, you know, kind of jerks and acts like, you know, because the whole gist of that hold is to stun you enough to where you allow you to be pinned. You know, and people were talking about the Boston Crab didn't look like it hurt. I said, let somebody apply it to you who knows what they're doing. Yeah, really. But you're talking about the atomic you know, drop. That, that, yeah. That's what Dromo used forever. Yeah, yeah. And another one that made me think of you, uh, they brought up the spinning toho. And because uh, I know you use that as your finisher a lot. But, uh, right. and granted, the spinning part was could be a little over the top, but, but to grab somebody's in a toe hold, that's, that's a legitimate hold. I mean, and, and it, it legitimately hurts. They don't know and, you uh, have their ankle mm-hmm. in a predicament. Yep. And, and but then uh, I thought about, you, you know, know there was just so many, that, that just so many that, uh, of course the funks used it, of course, before I did, but, I thought it was impressive, and it was a, you know, it wasn't a cover like most most were, but that's that's I enjoyed doing it. I know I know Terry asked me one time. He said, "How come you and your brother use use the the left leg?" I said, "Well, that was what I was taught. They use the right leg." They use the right leg. Hmm. We use. Uh, we always use the left. I, I, I you know, I've ever noticed that. Yeah, I picked up on it. Somebody used to. I never thought about it. With us, by the way. Hey, Bobby. Hey guys, I'm sorry. That's so fine. I let fine. time slip up on me. That's all right. <laughs> I understand. Believe me. Did, uh, Somebody used to. I can't remember if it was Austin Idol or or Flair that used the uh, the figure four 
on the on the opposite leg than what what it's normally used for. I tell you what, you think that don't hurt? Oh, I'm sure. Uh, there, there, there was so many. Uh, I guess one of the prettiest finishing holes, or whatever you want to, uh, how you want to say it, was uh, Jake Roberts. That DDT. The DDT. Yeah, yeah, yeah. It was unbelievable. My brother could do it good too. I never used it one time. Well, you know, and a lot of people. I'm sorry, go ahead, Jerry. No, and of course, Two's knee was just, I don't know if anybody <laughs> ever felt it or not, but <laughs> <laughs> that wasn't no joke. Well, no, sir, it wasn't. And that was something else that somebody mentioned that they didn't, they didn't, they didn't look like it hurt. I said, well, I, I beg to differ. <laughs> well, I'll tell you what. he did not pull that a, a bit. And, and no, really, sir. he didn't really hit you with his knee because that would have caused him pain. He hit you with his upper thigh and usually right alongside exactly. your ear. <laughs> and you knew you and it was up to you to make sure himself. you turned your head to where you uh, and you it, didn't get uh, your nose splattered. Exactly. Exactly. Probably the best friend he had in the business, Timmy Woods, turned his face the wrong way one night, and John hit him with that thing. And it blackened both Timmy's eyes. Uh, that's no, oh, it was. It's, yeah, one, of the, one of the things we brought up in this conversation when me and Michael were talking, and 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 I've never seen anybody use it, uh, and it's never seen anymore. But I thought Buddy Fuller's finishing hole was one of the neatest things uh, of any anything that that I'd seen anybody use was that he called it an inside step over toe hold. I know exactly what you're talking about. Where he'd spin around and hook that leg and do the little cartwheel forward. Yeah. And when he came out, you were flat on your back with your leg there, and he's pulling on it. Yep. And I saw I saw Ron, Robert Ron, Ron and Robert 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 do, but nobody ever used, used that. Yeah. Well, not a whole lot of people had long legs like that. <laughs> they could do it. <laughs> I remember uh, I was sitting in Birmingham one night when uh, Jerry Stubbs and I were sitting on the stage in Birmingham watching the match. It was Ken Lucas against somebody, I think Ron Bass or, or Saito or somebody. And Lucas uh, had the abdominal stretch on him. And he said, you know, Ken's the only one that can still get away with using that as a finishing hole. And I said, well, that's because people around here know him. And uh, it was that and the sleeper hole was his two finishes for years, and so everybody knows that, so it's it's a given. He said, "Yeah, but nowadays anybody else supplies it, they do high spots off of it." Yeah. I mean, you, you think about that was uh, that was that was Lester Welch's big finisher. It wasn't didn't didn't Gunkel use a version of that called the Texas Octopus or something? Gunkel used a thing called Texas Octopus. He would uh, he would hook your left leg with his right leg, sort of grapevine it, and he would bend you over to waist and take his left leg and throw it over the back of your head and pull up with your pull your right arm up. If that I think that describes it. Yeah. He called it a Texas octopus. And you think the octopus had that put on you too? Yes, sir. You did. <laughs> yeah. I'll tell you uh, another. The only guy, I guess other guys used it, but nobody used it like Bob Root, that shoulder breaker. Yep. Yeah. That was awesome. That was a beautiful, beautiful move. He could really use that. I mean, it was just so impressive. Throw that guy up on his shoulder, and then, I mean, it was, it was unbelievable. Did you, um, did you have worked with Dale Lewis? Yes, I did. In Texas, you know, he had that. His finisher was was what. Well, later on, when George Steele used it, they called it the flying hammerlock. But he called it the Lewis lock, where he'd hammerlock yeah. you and then lift you up. Did you ever see him do that? Yes. Did you? I, cannot, you I don't know how you could. Never met him. You never met him. 
Dromo spoke very highly of him. I thought the world of Dale Lewis. Dale Lewis was, let me tell you, he was super intelligent guy. He was educated. He was, uh, there wasn't a nicer guy than Dale Lewis. And I, I, when I heard he passed away, I, I, I couldn't believe it. I didn't know it for a long time. I, the last time I saw Dale was in uh, uh, Portland, Portland, Oregon. He was living out there, and he wasn't. I don't think he worked any then. That was in '78, but he he'd come to the matches sometimes. He lived where I lived, and he helped Kathy and I out when we got out there. And you know, he was just. I rode with him a lot in, when I was in Texas. He was he was he was a he was a good guy. He was a quiet guy, you know, but he was super intelligent. He was just a fascinating guy to be around. Well, you guys probably both saw him when you were still fans. Wasn't his thing here in Georgia? He had a thousand silver dollars or something like that to anybody that could beat him. Well, it wasn't a thousand silver dollars. It was just a thousand dollars. Okay. I mean, he'd take on guys out. I said he'd take on guys out of the crowd. And yeah, he'd, he'd go down on all fours and let you have the up position. And, you know, <laughs> he just, he would toy with people. Yeah, he was, uh, i never seen a set of legs on a guy like that in my life. Yeah, he did have some huge legs. There was a guy that came along. I don't know if you ever, either one of you guys ever saw him because he he was uh, from Oklahoma. He had, he was an, had wrestled amateur. He the only places I know he worked besides Oklahoma when he first broke in. He worked some in Florida, and Fuller used him uh, around seventy nine, uh, late seventy late seventy eight, early seventy nine guy by the name of Herb Calvert, and he reminded me a lot of Dale Lewis. He was built a lot like him, had those great big thick legs like that, and uh, he, he when he first started with Fuller, he was wrestling guys, uh, people out of the crowd, and uh, I, I he, got so heard much heat. he got so much heat that uh, Fuller started using him, you know, regular and uh, putting him in programs and stuff, but he got a lot of heat one night because he was working with a guy in Mobile, a guy out of the crowd, and uh, the uh, he backed the guy into the ropes, and uh, the guy slid down and was was on the had his arms across the, the middle rope, and then when when Herb backed away from him, the guy kicked Herb in the groin, so Herb just snatched him up and and took his knee and and drove it into the guy's face and broke his jaw, and. Uh, <laughs> So that guy naturally got heat from the crowd, and so Fuller uh, just let, used him in programs as a regular heel. But he wasn't around much longer after that. And like I said, other than in a short, brief time in Florida, I don't know of him ever working anywhere else. I never heard of. But him. he's I don't know if Bobby. He's the same no, guy, but uh, I, I didn't either. But when I first saw him, he reminded me a lot of Dale Lewis. But you going back, you were talking about that DDT. A lot of people credit uh, Jake Roberts for inventing that, but that was actually a, a lucha hold that was used. Uh, Jose Lothario used it. Bill Maskers used it. A lot of the luchadors used it. Gorman and Goliath both used it. It was called the Mexican head drop when, when they were using it. If you ever worked with them two, you, you were afraid you were going to get dropped on your head. <laughs> They were Let here for a while, but they were a piece of work. Ted, I, you know, I mean, growing up, I mean, they were older than we were, and you know, you'd seen them, had seen them in the magazines from being out in Los Angeles and all. But I was never so disappointed when we worked with them. It was like pulling teeth. Yeah, I was never impressed with them. I, I wasn't either, Bobby. I mean, I'm not putting them down. I'm just, yeah. just talking. Facts, but I know, I know I jumped in late. Did did you guys mention any of the people we had lost since the last time yeah, we were yeah, together? I, you and I haven't spoken since this afternoon, but you know Larry Hennig died earlier. I see that. I was going to mention that. Uh, uh, yeah, he was. 
uh, I had a chance to work. I worked with him one time on Tampa TV. Uh, he was a monster. Yeah, I, I, I've said a mic. I never had the pleasure of meeting him. Jerry, I went to TV. They, they sent me. Gary Hart was booking here, and they sent me to Tampa TV. And I went down there, and I, of course I was refereeing. And when I got down there, Harvey, you know, Harley was booking. He wanted to know why I was there, and I told him they'd sent me down there to work. And, and uh, I'm not real sure he was happy about that, but he said, you know, hey, it is what it is. Well, you know, just go out and do your best. And book, I was working with Henning, and Henning was sitting over in the corner by himself, and he had a black eye. I mean, he had a shiner, and I mean, this guy is huge. And I'm wondering, why, how did this guy get a black eye? And uh, and uh, Harley starts laughing, and uh, they were they had been. He, I believe he told me West Palm the night before, and and Har- Henning had been sitting on the on the stage there with a uh, with a hockey puck playing with it. And a mark jumped in the ring on uh, Harley. And Henning went to the ring to help Harley. And on the way there, he got the bright idea of putting this hockey puck in a towel and jumping in the ring and hitting this guy with a towel. And when he, you know, knocked the guy out, everybody would think, man, he's strong. He hit him with a towel. Well, the first time he swung the towel, the hockey puck came out of the towel and it came back and hit him in the eye. Good. <laughs> so that's how he got the black eye. And I had the privilege of working with him the next day. <laughs> So, you know, Henning and Race were, were the were the top heel team for five years uh, up in Minneapolis. Yep. And uh, I just I I wish you know there's so much that you wish that there was was video existing videotape of that was one of the legendary teams that I would love to see video of. I bet uh, they worked with Bruiser and Crusher probably a million times. And I'm sure probably drew sell out houses every time. Well, we don't well, I know. can't imagine work, working with those two because I mean Harley and and especially Harley was was a tremendous wrestler and and Larry had a uh, uh, amateur background so you know he was and, and just having to work with those two crowbars every night <laughs> I cannot imagine. They presented uh, Larry with the uh, Iron Mike Award at Cauliflower Alley a few years ago. Uh, matter of fact, it was I believe it was the last time Harley was there, and Harley was was his presenter, and uh, Harley just had glowing remarks uh, about Larry being his partner, and all those times they worked together. Again, I don't know if you mentioned it. I may be just repeating myself, but another one that uh, uh, we lost at. Uh, I had the privilege of being in the ring a lot of times with was Dick Slater. Yeah. Uh, man, well, what was wrong with him, Bobby, at the end? I mean, I know Mike and you I know, discussed that a little earlier, but you know, I'm not real him? sure, Jerry. I, I, the last time I saw any pictures of him, he was in a wheelchair, and I didn't even know who it was. Uh, when I seen the picture, uh, whoever showed it to me, it might have been Charlie Smith, asked me if I knew who it was, and I said no. And he said that's Dick Slater. So he he had a lot of health issues. That's uh, that's sad. And we were talking about the Dynamite Kid, you know. Yeah. I never I never met him, but I was telling Mike he paid the ultimate price for what he did. Yes, sir. And he suffered a long time, several I years. Was, I was reading today uh, somebody had had posted maybe possibly Mike Mooneyham out of Charleston had posted that. He was a he was a victim of his own style of working because he did so That's, many crazy things that he just took his soul on his body. Well, he 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 did stuff that hadn't been seen before, huh. and uh, you know I think Benoit tried to pattern his style after him. I mean, from just watching his work, you know. Yeah. And you know, he Benoit paid the ultimate was, price too. Yeah, he, you know, yeah, Benoit was—he had that—he would do that headbutt coming off the top rope. Yeah. Uh, how many times did Harley do that? And you know, Harley's in he, such he bad physical him. shape now. You know, that, these football players complain about concussions. Uh, that's that's a—they just wasn't no easy way to land doing that because you were just putting it all on the line when you came off that top rope head first. Well, I'll tell you one that never did it was me. 
<laughs> Man. Not on purpose anyway, huh? <sighs> Ooh. Well, one, uh, one thing we trying to... Go ahead, Bobby. I was just going to say, I accidentally banged my head a few times, but it was none too fun. And I just can't no. imagine throwing it out there on purpose. A hold that looks up. like it would that you don't ever see anymore. That looks like it was I'm talking about it, it dropped on your head. And I know you took a few of them because you worked with Carl Cox. That brain buster. How in the world did were you able to protect yourself with that? Uh, uh it was all up to him. I was going to say, I can answer I, that. You can't. It's up to you. Got to trust the guy you're working with. I trust. I trusted him. There's there a lot of guys I trusted. I mean, you have to trust guys. If you don't, then. But I guess I trusted him more than anybody I ever stepped in the ring with. Him and Harley. Uh, I mean, guys that did some, you know, pretty awesome stuff to you. But there came a point I worked with Carl so much that he started giving it to me on the floor and I would land on one of my hips and I had this huge knot. I, that's, I don't know why I landed that way. And I told him, I said, Carl, I can't take this on the floor anymore, man. We we did a deal where, you know, wore a neck brace and all that stuff. But I, I, I couldn't, I mean, I trusted him, but I, I, I couldn't, I couldn't do it anymore. But nobody, uh, uh, Murdoch did it good too. I trusted him with it. Mm-hmm. Could you come in straight down from? Yes, sir. It's yeah. like a suplex. You, you're really, in a, you know, it's, it's half of a suplex, and then you come straight down. But I, I, I never, my head never touched the mat, the floor, nothing. I mean, it was just, it was unbelievable. But he could, he could, he could work. He, he could, gosh, everything he did was Which solid, and he was. He was just unbelievable. You mentioned suplexes. Well, Bobby and I were talking about it. it. Used to be, somebody gave you a suplex, especially if they gave you two, they carried you out on a stretcher. Now they jump right back up and. <laughs> yeah, I mean it's it's, uh, and you know, no matter what territory you went went it went to. If you use somebody else's hole and you come back to that dressing room, you're in a world of trouble. Yes, sir. That was just yeah. kind of like an unwritten code. You just didn't do that, you know. I mean, you were in a fist fight when you come through the door. <laughs> I mean, because you're, you're yeah, threatening the guy's well. livelihood by it, making it, a mockery you know, out of something that he's he's made. I mean, there were certain people did certain things. And, and and we're our own. I say we. We're our own worst enemy now because these guys have made have made finishing holes a joke. How many matches did 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 Freddie Blassie win using that simple little swinging neck breaker? And that's another beautiful, beautiful uh, mm-hmm. move. Yes, sir. And when he did it, and people sold it, people believed it. He, uh, yeah. I mean, you just. You know, uh, like in uh, especially St. Louis. Did y'all see where Manizak died? Yeah, yeah, yeah. That's yeah. That, that's did y'all ever meet him? Trying to think of. No. Did y'all ever I meet Larry? Yeah, I met him. I never met him in person, but I <clears> dealt <throat> with him over the phone a thousand times. Well, let me tell you, there was another nice guy. His heart was as big as all outdoors. He was a kind man and. I know when things went kapooey and were starting to go bad for all of us and, you know, when everybody's being bought out, Larry ran, uh, he ran uh, St. Louis. And uh, I wrestled for him out there. I'd go out there. He'd fly me out there. Uh, we wrestled at the Blues Arena where the St. Louis Blues played hockey. Uh-huh. And uh, and he got some good talent. Uh, I know uh, – uh, Brody worked for him. Murdoch worked for him. He had some good talent. And, uh, of course, you know, 
he ran for a while, and you know it just gets too too expensive, and you know guys want fortunes, and they pay in your plane ticket, and you know it just. But he was he was a nice guy. He was so nice and so knowledgeable about what we did for you know for a living, and he did the TV commentary there at the Chase. I mean, when I was there, mm-hmm. I mean, of course they've been wrestling the Chase forever, but. He was a, a commentator, and he, he, I thought he was very good at what he did. And I don't know what I don't know what he did for Sam. Uh, you may know more about that than I do, Bobby. I'm sure you do. He was sort of his office manager. He, uh, right hand man. Yeah, whatever well, I had to deal with when when Sam was still really involved with the NWA, and I was doing stuff for Jim. That's who. I never talked to Sam. I dealt with Larry, and and you know, like I say, I never, never had the pleasure to meet him, but just over the phone. And he was always a pleasure to talk with, too, wasn't he? Yeah, I'll, never. Uh, always very accommodating, no matter what you needed. Yeah, he was. He was something else. I think he kind of, you know, Sam. Uh, he was getting on up there. He used to, he'd always be there, and of course, St. Louis was. His town, and of course, other guys had a piece of action. O'Connor had a piece, and Geigo had a piece, and I don't know who all else. You may know. I I know they did. I don't. I don't, I don't know if Vern had any. Yeah, Vern had, had some of, right there towards the end. But that was that was one heck of a town. Good gosh, I mean, it was just. I yeah, mean, that was the that was went, the mecca of our sport. You know, I never had the pleasure. But you, everybody well, that ever got into business, I think their dream was to work the keel, or you know, yeah. the, 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 the wrestling at the chase was a the, was a thing all its own too. That was just phenomenal. Yeah, when you did the TV there, it was uh, it was just you just especially you know like in the Atlanta Auditorium, Old City Auditorium, and right, especially the keel. You, I mean, it went back just like the Auditorium in Atlanta. I mean. You, I'd, sometimes I'd go in there and just think, God, all the guys that have been in here, you know, from way back, you know. And I know uh, uh, Bobby Bruns would be there. He was a world champion at one time. Yeah. And people don't even know that name, but he was a nice guy. He was just – and you'd see all kind of people there, you know. I mean, just – but, uh, like, they would book guys – St. Louis itself wasn't a territory. I mean, it was, um, of course, they did stuff like everybody else off the TV, of course, but, I mean, you would see guys like, you know, I know I was in a tag match one night there with me and Wilbur Snyder, and I'd never met Snyder. He he, he wasn't a real torturable guy, you know. He, he was kind of, you know, he had a piece of action, I guess, up in, Indiana somewhere, I don't know, in, uh, you know, maybe in Indy or something. Yeah, he, and, he and Bruiser were partners. Not only and, that, uh, but he and Bruiser and Ganya were partners in Chicago. And I know we were in a tag match, and uh, O'Connor told him I was going to take the fall. And he looked at me like, who are you? But... I was there more than he was every week, you know. So he, he, he you know, he, he, he wasn't. I don't know. Maybe it was just me. I don't know. He wasn't. He looked good. He looked good, but I never yeah, met him. But I saw him a lot of as a kid. I saw him. Uh, I think him and Gunkel were buddies. Really? Yeah, I think so. He would come into Atlanta uh, every once in a while. Uh, never as a main event, but maybe as a semifinal or be booked in a tag match or something. I can remember seeing him, you know, several times. Oh, well, he was in the magazines all the time. You know, oh, yeah. Like in, yeah. You, you and I, Mike, were kids. And, you know, I mean, it was just smiling. Big guy with that crew cut. Had a real clean-cut look. Yeah, he did. He did. And uh, I think you can, I ever, if you can ever find him. I've got on uh, video some of his stuff uh before he moved into the Midwest when he was working in, in California from the early 50s. And one of the best matches on there, um, 
I can't remember what from California who it is that he's working with, but it's I, I want to say Red Berry, but it's a great match. And, and there's some Chicago stuff. Uh, the Braves are losing, by the way, five to two. Um, the uh, the Chicago stuff. He he had some great matches with Ganya, and there there wasn't there was no no slowdown and no no air between any either one of. Them. Them as far as their holds and everything, those were some great matches. Where was Snyder from? He was from from Van Nuys, California. Really? Or Woodland Woodland Hills, California? Yeah, you know he played uh, he played Canadian football with uh, he was on the same football team with Gene Kaniski and uh, Joe Blanchard. They were all they all played for the Edmond, Edmonton Eskimos. I did not know that. Mm-hmm. Yep. Did you say the Braves are losing? Which... Yeah, I'm watching replay. Oh, I was just gonna say, uh, what are you watching? That, that, I, I didn't the, want to uh, say anything. I thought I'm missing something. I thought that medication is taking uh, hold or something. For the <laughs> the, uh, the month of December, every Thursday night they're playing a, a Braves game. Oh, okay. And I think this game right here, it, it, it has to be early in the season because they they've got pitchers that were not with us towards the end. And uh, Philly was still good at that point before they collapsed. So. I know. Freeman hit a two-run homer, but that's it. We were, we were at, the chase, uh, at the chase doing TV. And that's Oh, oh, oh before, let me back up. Let me back up to the kill. I mean, yeah, to the kill. Now, that, as Bobby said earlier, that, that was the mecca of, of our business, that town. They had the worst ring that you would ever step into. It was a 24-foot. We always worked in 18-foot rings or 16-foot rings. depends where we were. This thing was a 24-foot boxing ring. Oh jeez! And buddy, you better you better not do anything in the center of that ring. No, because that pulls your back. <laughs> and I cannot. I never understood them not having a great ring in there. It was just hideous. But anyhow, getting back to the uh, Chase Park Plaza, that's where we did the TV on Sundays. So. The bruiser was there because he's going to be there the next week or something, and so whatever. So he's he's in the ring with somebody, and at the chase, you you could not go out of that ring. I was supposed to go out of that ring. Bruiser threw some some kid out of the ring, working him over, running him into the steps to goes up to the ring, doing this and doing that and doing this and doing that. And O'Connor sitting there watching that. He said, "Nobody gets over like like Dick does." And one of the guys says. Nobody can do what Dick does here except him. He could do whatever he wanted. Nobody could say anything to him, you know. Oh, yeah. And, uh, but that's the way it was. Did you ever work yeah, with him, Jerry? Uh, never worked with him, no. I was I was on cards with him, but I never worked with him. I never met him. I just, I seen him. I, I never, I mean, well, He I was just, impressive looking joker. Uh, he was, uh, yeah, he, he was. I just, I wonder what he was he like to be in the ring with. Uh, I, I don't know. I know uh, he, you know, according to somebody we had on the show one night, you know, talked about the money he made back in the day and all. I, 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 I mean, he, and I guess up there when they were promoting up in there, they, they made a ton of money. I mean, they had to work, and they made money when it was money. I mean, you know, so, but he, uh, the times I was around him, you know, he'd speak, hey, how are you? And that was it, boom, you know, he'd carry on no conversation. I mean, you know, he might have been all right guy. I, I wasn't around him that much. I, I knew I met his son-in-law. What was his name? Spike. Y'all know him. Spike Huber. Steve, Reg- Steve Regal and, and Spike Huber were both his son-in-laws at one time. I did not know that. Yeah. Yeah, no, it's not the Steve, it's not the Lord Stephen Regal. No, not the not the. This was the little 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 guy William Steve Regal. Regal. 
Yeah. But uh, Spike Huber, he man, he had a, he was a nice kid. He had a heck of a body on him. I, I don't ever know what happened to him. I guess when he maybe divorced the bruiser's daughter that was into him. I don't know. <laughs> he, he was he was a nice kid. I never heard anything from him. I didn't know. I don't even know where I met him. Well, the stories I've heard about Bruiser, you're 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 lucky you didn't work with him because supposedly he never washed his tights. Dave Grayson told me that. <clears throat> him or Brute Bernard? <laughs> <laughs> well, Brute always wore those old wool tights too. He he was still wearing wool tights after yeah. everybody else was was wearing the polyester stuff. We worked with him a lot in uh, Charlotte. Brute was in his own and world. Got- <laughs> uh, I, 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 I uh, of course, uh, I had, you know, uh, he was another one that you'd seen all your life. Him and Skull yeah. Murphy in the magazine Skull growing Murphy, up. Yeah. And I know when I, I I went to Charlotte, he was there, and I'm like, what the heck? I'm gonna get in the ring with this Joker. I, I remember when I was a kid, you know. And but he did his thing. He he did his thing. Brute was Brute was different. He, you know, he was funny. I mean, he was. He, I mean, I mean, was, the things he did, his gestures and all were funny. I mean, he he wasn't no clowning kind of guy. I, I didn't mean that, but I, I I hate I never met Skull Murphy. I hate I never met him. But. Yeah, I never met Skull. You know, in Columbus, you know, the bell was mounted on a piece of wood. So then he picked that piece of wood, that bell up one night, and he hit. This is before Austin Idol. This was Mike McCord. He hit him one night down there and knocked McCord didn't know what day it was. Who did it, Brute? Brute. He was laying flat, and he's laying flat, and McCord was in the middle of the ring, and I was trying my. I didn't want to get down on one knee and slap him, you know, or nothing, but I was, I was doing my best to nudge him and kick him and speak to him and talk to him. Because I was scared to death he was going to come to and not know where he was. And finally, I was able to keep the brute off of him long enough till he come back around. But that brute knocked him silly. <laughs> and in that same town, if you remember that old boxing ring that we used there, on the yes. edge of, the, of, the, edge of the, the, if you got knocked out on the apron, there was some little metal, little metal studs stuck up that held the boards in place. Right. And the brute used to take this little funny bump where he would go through the ropes backwards, and uh, and and land on that apron and slide off to the floor. He slid off one night and hooked one of them little metal spikes, and he was hanging there upside down with his trunks down around his knees. <laughs> and then he was French Canadian, and he's hollering, "Monsieur, Monsieur!" And we was all laughing so hard we couldn't help him. <laughs> he was, yeah, he was uh, Bobby. Bobby, did you ever? Uh, I don't know when he died. I know he did himself in Skull Murphy. Yeah. Did you ever see him in Atlanta as a kid? Never did. Never did. Never did. I don't know when he passed away. I, I guess in the sixties, early sixties. Yeah. Skull Murphy. Yeah. I yeah. want to say he. I, I want to say he died around nineteen seventy. And uh, of course, you know, he committed suicide. Are they you said uh-uh. What, about the suicide? Yeah, when he killed himself. I'm almost sure it was 1970. Hold on a minute. I'll, I'll check Bobby, it you, you never, did, did, did he ever come through Atlanta? If he, I don't remember him if he did. But I'm you know, sure Brooke they probably committed suicide came through too. Here. Yeah, that's yeah, what, the book, what yeah. I was going to say is, is that uh, they said that he wasn't uh, – after he was so close to Skull, because Skull was yeah March twenty third, nineteen seventies, when Skull Murphy died. Where he where uh, was he living? I have no idea. He was from Hamilton, Ontario, originally. He was Canadian, so I'm not sure where he was living. But uh, I think I want to say it was in Charlotte because I think he and Brute were in Charlotte, and then uh, but Brute supposedly was not. He he kind of went off his rocker because he was so close to to Skull, and Skull was kind of his mentor because he was older and had been in the business longer. You yeah, ever seen pictures of Brute when he could. first started when he was just Jim Bernard with no. hair? Uh-uh. Yeah. 
I, I, I guess Murphy probably got them booked here and there, and I don't know. Yeah, Move I mean, they were, they were major defense, stars you know? in Japan and in Australia. They were big stars in, in Australia um, when Bar- Barnett went over there. And uh, they they had runs in Florida. I think up in New York, they worked just about everywhere. I mean, they were they were you know one of those teams kind of like the Kangaroos that that worked everywhere. You know, they they were a, a, an attraction that would not really homestead a whole lot. They they probably spent more time as a team homestead probably in in the Carolinas, but because uh, they I, had matches with Weaver and Becker and. I just find it hard to believe they didn't come through Atlanta back in the day. Yeah. I mean, because you couldn't pick up a magazine. They wasn't in it. Yep. Yeah, the last run Brute had in Atlanta, Gary Hart brought him in. Gary was Gary was helping, was like, quote, unquote, the assistant booker. And he brought the Brute in. And the first two, three weeks Brute was here, uh, me and Ronnie West bled more than the boys did, because we were doing it. Gary had him doing a deal every night where he would jump on the referees and just beat the crap out of them, and one of us would get toted out. I mean, it was we we did that for about three weeks. Did he? Did he ever travel? Do you know who he traveled with? Uh, he traveled with when when he was here. They had it. Gary was a booker, and he also had. Uh, uh, they had Steve Clements, uh guy out of Tennessee working as uh God, what was they calling Steve? They it was like Dudley Clements. Sir Dudley and he was like a manager Sir too, Dudley or yeah. he was helping uh he was helping Gary manage his army or whatever. And uh, I know they travel together a lot. In fact, uh Steve Clements, his real name was Steve Beresford. His father was a um was a, a promoter over in England, and Steve was a was uh, a you know a big a champion over there before he ever came to the states. And uh, he uh, he and Brute were together in Detroit. Once uh, when, when they left Atlanta, they went to Detroit, and uh, they were in a car wreck, and, and Clemens was killed. And uh, Brute survived the. Yeah, Brute was with him. Brute survived the car wreck. The funny thing about Brute Bernard, you guys were both, you know, you know what he looked like and everything. You know, he was married to a lady wrestler at one point, Betty Hawkins, who was. I think uh, I remember hearing that. She was gorgeous. <laughs> I never could figure out that duo. <laughs> she must have had cataracts. <laughs> <laughs> huh. I shouldn't have said that. <laughs> well, you know, you yeah, he uh, he he worked a long time. He was he was still working in the late seventies, I think. Brute was. I, I think I, Gary Hart used him a lot. He had him out there in uh, in Texas at one point, and they had Brute teamed with uh, uh, Frank Morrell when Frank was doing the Angel gimmick. You know, after after Skull died, uh, they they stuck uh, um, Brute with uh, Larry Hamilton in the Carolinas, and, and uh, uh, Homer Odell was managing. Can you imagine that trio? Jeez! <laughs> did, oh, when you said, uh, when when uh, um, Skull Murphy did that to himself, he wasn't still working, was he? Yeah. He was. Yeah. Yeah. Huh. Yeah, they said that, that he was you know, that because that, that him being hairless like that was not was not a gimmick. He had some sort no, of no, disease no, no. that he'd had from, from a boy as a boy. Right. He lost all of his hair. I mean yeah, he didn't have eyebrows, he didn't have anything. No. And uh supposedly he was so depressed over that so is is why he Committed suicide. You're kidding. And then, hmm. Well, he made a fortune doing like that. Yeah. Yeah, but he he was. Uh, he had a good body on him at one time too. Yeah, he was. Yeah. 
I don't know. Yeah, he, Bobby, he he had a big run. Murphy had a, a was I want to say it was out in out in Seattle or Portland or somewhere. But he and uh, or maybe in New York, he and Carl von Hess, uh, the older guy, um, Frank Faculty, they were a heel team. But he he really hit his stride and and made his name when when they put him and Bernard together. Yeah, that was. Awesome team, I guess. But you had mentioned that we was talking about holes and stuff like that. But you mentioned Detroit. Bobby, I don't know if you ever went up there or Mikey, the one when the sheep was running. But I've never been anywhere like that in my life. <laughs> ever. And I, 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 I used to be in awe when I'd go up there just thinking, in the day, the money they drew up there in the uh-huh. store and all wherever they ran, I'm mm-hmm. thinking, how on God's green earth could they draw that kind of money? And how many times did him and Bobo work the Sheik? Uh-huh. It's probably a tie between Bobo and the Sheik, uh, Diamond Lil and Darling Dagmar, and at this point, Jerry Lawler and <laughs> Bill Dundee, who's had the most matches. Yeah, that, yeah, that would be the top three, I would think. But <laughs> another another name up there that probably probably worked with the Sheik as much as Bobo did was Sailor Art Thomas. Yeah, you know, nah. he was, you know, at one time. I mean, that was that's such a strange phenomena up there. You know, they they made they made so much money. And, and and they were, you know, it went from from what it was to there at the end, nobody wanted to go because you knew you weren't going to make any money. I mean, he just, he totally destroyed that thing. And, and I just, I don't understand why or how. I mean, I, I know, you know how, but I don't know why. I just. Uh, what it was, uh, since you said that, and as you was talking, it hit me why or how. He couldn't give it up himself. Yeah. Yep. You know, it was him, and, and 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 it was the same match. The the he'd come out there, and and he was a better fit when he had uh, Ernie Ernie Roth as his manager as Abdul Farouk than than Creechman. Creechman, you know, I know a lot a lot of people are fans of of uh, Creechman, Eddie Creechman, but to me, he was probably the absolute worst manager ever in the business. He, yeah. he was what what little bit of of time the Sheik's matches last. His it took him longer to come from the dressing room to get in the ring than the match lasted. You know he he'd go through that whole thing with you know trying to to do his his prayer and the and the heel. I mean the baby face kicking him and that happening and then you know then the match would start and he'd be blading before they ever locked up and and bleeding and then he'd do his penciling jab the guy a couple of times and. In the meantime, Creechman's in and out of the ring 500 times, and the referee never never calls him on it. And then, you know, three minutes later, the Sheik's been disqualified. He grabs his belt and goes to the – I mean, after 10 years of that, I would imagine the fans have said, you know, nobody's ever going to beat the man. Well, I my claim to fame in the court is Murdoch. He, I ran into Dickie somewhere, and he said, hey, you, you want to come to the court on Saturday? I said, yeah, I said, I'm, you know, I'm wrestling here some in Georgia. I said, yeah. So he said, okay. So he got me booked up there for the Sheik, and Dickie was in and out, not steady like anybody was. So my claim to fame is I wrestled on a, the main event with the Sheik on the first wrestling card they ever had in Joe Louis Arena. <laughs> That's my claim to fame in Detroit. Huh. How long did the match last? Five minutes, maybe. <laughs> That's some time I got in the ring and got back. <laughs> did some kind of goofy DQ with him out there, you know, strutting around. I'm thinking, what the hell? You know, being from the south, and you know, um, we we went after it, you know, but that wasn't the case, you know. We we worked, and I don't know what you call what we did, but. So I was there one worked, night. Worked for him, and Bobby, you dealt with him. I'm assuming through the office. Did he ever use a booker? 
of any kind, or did he just? I, I think Dory may have booked for him at one point, or Terry, or somebody. But there, then he was booking his own shows, and he would he would he would send posters out with all sorts of names on it, and and there was and he, you know none of the people that he put on there were booked. Um, you know Barnett Barnett tried very hard to be fair with him and to treat him right. The first time we ran Columbus, Ohio, of course, that had been a sheet town for years. Barnett met with him on Sunday afternoon of the show at a hotel there and a very nice restaurant on top of a hotel in Columbus, Ohio. And I was sitting over in the corner. I was in the, in the room. I was not at the table with him. I was just in the room as a witness. And uh, there was an envelope with a large amount of cash handed to the sheik. And that was for us running this town. Barnett still respected that it was his town. So we ran the show that night. Well, we came back the second time, and we, Barnett, booked, agreed to run, for the Sheik to run two towns and to use some some of our talent. And it was me and Ole Anderson and Saito and Kevin Sullivan on the first trip. And we ran Parkersburg, West Virginia on Monday night. And we ran Charles, or not Charleston, but Huntington, West Virginia on Tuesday night. And I had to stand out in front of the building in Parkersburg with my Georgia, I had a blazer that had a Georgia championship wrestling patch on the pocket. And I had to stand out there with that coat on. And I had been doing the TV interviews that we were sending up on the loop. And I had to stand out there for people to see me before they would buy tickets and come in. And we drew a big house there that night. I don't know how many, I don't remember how much it was, but it was a good house. And we went to the field house in Huntington the next night. Same scenario. Me standing out front by the box office to let people see me just so that they would know that uh, we were there. Again, we drew a good house. We had no problems. We split the, we took the two houses uh, after expenses and split them 50-50, and we brought 50% back. He took 50% back to Detroit. Well, two months later, we do the same deal, same two towns. This time it was Ted DiBiase and wrestling too. And we did the deal on, on Tuesday in Parkersburg, had a good crowd, or on Monday. And then on Tuesday we were in Huntington, and while we're in Huntington, he sent his girlfriend up to the box office and stole the house. He took all the money. And then he told me, he says, he says, oh, she didn't know we were supposed to split. She took it back. And, of course, Barnett's threatening to fire me, and he's all upset. But that was why we started running the, the, the Michigan towns and the other Ohio towns. And from that point forward, he was totally out of the loop. But he did that to himself. And, you know, that's, I know there's a lot of people thought very well of him, but my experience was you couldn't trust the guy. And when he, when he told you something, you couldn't believe it. And, and that's, that was my experience with him, but you know, whatever will be, will be, but, uh, he could, he could have, he could have hung on a while, made some money if he had just done what he was supposed to Play. He wouldn't play ball with anybody. Would yeah, he like you say, it was him or nothing. And he and he and you know the sad part was, he had some guys up there. He had a black guy working for him named Malcolm Monroe. He was as good a hand as anybody I had seen in a long time. And uh, the sheik had him working with the little like Norvell. He had the blonde streak and the and the black afro. Great little worker. And the guy was starving to death because they would drive from Detroit. From Detroit to to Huntington and Parkersburg, it was like four hundred and something miles one way, and he was paying these guys fifteen bucks a piece. They were sleeping seven eight guys in a hotel room. Uh, they'd sleep in the bathtub on the floor, on the box springs, on the mattress, wherever they could get a spot, just to survive. That's sad. And, and it was. It was really sad, and uh, just you know. He didn't want to do the right thing, and it wound up costing him there in the end. Well, you know, he 
he wanted to keep working and working and working, and it's like anything in life, it'll pass you by. And it passes yes, by. You know? I don't care what you do in life, it'll pass you by. So, well, your mind, your mind tells you, and I, I know it's the case with you too, your mind tells you you can do it better than what some of these guys are doing. I watch some of these guys referee. I think I can do it better. I know more of what I'm doing than they do. But my knees and my body say, no, you can't. Yeah, but <laughs> so that's it. I don't even, I wouldn't solved. even try. No, it's, uh, and you, you know, of course, you, you can see and you know it's not right. You know, and yeah, but well, what do you do? You know, but it's uh, it's it's uh, it's just sad the way it, you know it all winds up with, especially what we did. And it could never be like that ever again. I mean, who could run buildings every week anymore? That, that, yeah, that, that just so you even could do it. Who's got the mind to book it? Yeah, anymore. Of what we did, yeah. nobody. We had well, to and, look and back to go and even further than that. For granted, you know, the, the, who's going to sit and watch it the way we we yeah. watched it? And and, and uh, the uh, of course the talent. Everybody thinks their era was the best, but I think our era had more good talent than. Most eras did. Or just I mean, just from sheer volume, yeah. Because you think about it, yeah. how many territories from from say 1965 through 1982? How many territories were out there? How many towns were running? You know, places like uh, the Carolinas where they were running four, four towns the country. a night. Yeah, yeah. Just throughout the country, uh, a night that was running. I mean, come on. You know. Exactly. And I'm just glad I was a part of that, just a small part of that, that generation, you know, and met a lot of great guys, a lot of bad guys, and it's like anything else, but I think there were more good guys than bad guys. Me too. You know, I really do. And uh, it was uh, it was a great experience for me, and I, I was blessed to be able to do it, and and um, so I have no regrets. No regrets. I wouldn't have wanted to work in any other generation. <laughs> I wouldn't, you know. You know, but I sat back and I watched those, Yeah, I watched those those films of those Chicago matches from the fifties. You know, back when when they didn't do a lot of. I mean, there wasn't any there wasn't any big high spots. I mean, no. those guys would go out and work on a mat for, you know, 20 minutes or 15 minutes. You know, I just, to, to me, even as a fan, that would have been boring. And, and I'm, I'm like you, Jerry. I'm glad we came along when we did because I just, I loved what I did. <laughs> I mean, and just, it was like, you know, everybody says this and this and this. And it, you know, what we did is no different than, Pro football, college football, baseball, basketball, hockey. It was just entertainment. We entertained people by what we did. That was yep. it. That's, you know, we were traveling road shows like football. Football's nothing but traveling road shows. Yep. You know? Yeah. It's all the same. We, we just did it our way of doing it, you know. But it was, uh, it was a great experience. And, a lot of, a lot of, a lot of, like everybody else that did, a lot of great memories. And of course, you know, if you go back, you know, it's like everybody else. You had a chance to go to a territory you didn't, and you went to another one, and you should have went to the one you didn't go to, and you know. <laughs> but that's, you know, I think everybody experienced <laughs> that, you know. I just got through reading an autobiography uh, about country, the country western singer Mo Bandy. And uh, grew up in Texas, wanting to be a singer, and he he played all the honky tonks in the bars until he finally, you know, after ten years, became an overnight success. But but I read I read his book, and he was talking about he was talking about road stories and some of the things he got into, and I thought, yeah, they're no, we were no different than they were. No. Whether yeah. whether you're a country music musician or a rock and roll star or 
if you're traveling on the road and you're you're in the entertainment business, it's all the same. And I and I Except go back to, to something Bill Bowman said one time. He said we just wanted to be entertained ourselves. And he said a lot of times we had to create our own entertainment because right. we didn't have anything else. And that's where the ribs and the jokes and the the all the things that happened came into play. And and uh, just uh, you never knew what was going to happen, but buddy, it sure was fun. But uh, talking about the guy that wrote the book, uh, you know, the, the country and western people on the road, the rock and roll people, and whoever that made a living on the road, they all miss one thing. Riding in a car with Harley Race one time. Oh yeah, yeah. <laughs> Baby, that that was an experience that I did one time, and I said, if I ever get out of this car, this will never happen to me again. <laughs> so, yeah, yeah, that's yeah. It was it was it was a heck of a ride. Oh. I don't mean Harley, the business, but guys, oh, yeah. I, I I I promised Mike I, I'd do an hour, and uh, I uh. I think I need to go and uh, check yeah, on her. We're gonna, and We're going to wind it up. And, uh, and I, I, I just ask just, you guys to keep us uh, in your prayers. Well, absolutely. Absolutely. I, have, you guys I haven't have a had a chance job. to call you yet. I'm going to. But, uh, buddy, God bless you. I just uh, Mike was Thank telling you. me the other day about some of the things. and Been there, done that. And I, I just, just know I love you, son. <laughs> I know. I know you do. And uh, since this is our last show until the holidays are over with, you guys and everybody listening, have a Merry Christmas, Happy New Year, and uh, hope you get everything you want for Christmas. And we'll uh, we'll get together after the first of the year, and we'll do this one more time. Sounds like Sounds a winner, fellas. All Thank right. You guys. Well, good night, everybody. Thank good you. Night, good night, guys. Thank you. Bye-bye. We thank you for listening to this broadcast, a production brought to you by the GWH Radio Network. Stay tuned to GeorgiaWrestlingHistory.com for the latest information on upcoming events and more. As always, we thank you for your continued support.